Welcome to the grand finale of Marvel Month at It Was a Thing on TV. I am Johnny C, and we close this month of special shows by looking at the man who started the MCU in 1985. Dick Ebersol was getting tired of being the executive producer of Saturday Night Live, and Brandon Tartikoff, probably after consulting his good friend, Mr. Richard Belding, the principal of Bayside High, asked Lord Michaels to return to the show, and he happily agreed. I wonder if Mr. Belding's brother Rod was there for that conversation. Hey, did you ever notice that Rod Belding looks just like Rocket King Owen Hart? I digress. However, the show wouldn't have the great supporting cast of the year before, with Billy Crystal, Martin Short, Christopher Guest, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Hail Hydra. Nope. Instead, they would have Cousin Eddie, Damon Waynes, John Cusack's sister, Rusty Griswold number one, and finally, Mr. Robert Downey Jr. So you'd think with a cast as dynamite as that, you'd figure, well, how can NBC lose? <laughs> oh, 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 you just watch. We conclude Marvel Month as we journey to the 1985-8666 season of Saturday Night Live. We certainly hope you have enjoyed Marvel Month of programming here at the It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And I leave you with this special message. Holy shit! Did you see that Professor X has his yellow floaty thing? Oh my god, when does that movie come out? Buy your tickets at Fandango.com or perhaps Marvel.com or some other .com where you can purchase goods and services for movie exhibitions. Episode 265, submission number 1810. Saturday Night Live, the 1985-1986 season. Saturday Night Live, season 11, aired on NBC from November 9th, 1985 to May 24th, 1986 for 18 episodes.
gigantic cluster you know what that was Saturday Night Live season 6 they went back to the well Dick Ebersol went back to the well and pretty much started the whole thing from scratch it did ultimately result in what would come to be known as Saturday Night Live's Golden Age well the Golden Age was the original cast I mean this was kind of like sort of the return of SNL when Dick Ebersole arrived. It's return to form. It's return to relevancy. And it helped when he had both Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo anchoring the show. Oh, yeah. And then Dick Ebersole, in the middle of 1984-85, left the show because, and I'm using a famous quote by somebody else, creative differences. I was creative, the network was different. According to uh, Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, the network refused to request to shut the program down for six months for retooling and shift much of the material onto tape. NBC wanted to cancel the show, but Brandon Tartikoff, who had just come in to uh, basically write the good ship Peacock, decided... Let's give Saturday Night Live another go. He is basically perhaps the biggest fan of Saturday Night Live at the network. And when the network head is a big fan of Saturday Night Live, guess what happens? Saturday Night Live gets another go at it. But only, only if he could get Lorne Michaels back. So he basically begged Lorne Michaels to come back and do Saturday Night Live. And sure so enough- he did. Yeah, he did. Any follow-ups on that one, Greg? Well, I have a quote from Lauren here in the book Live from New York, The Complete Uncensored History of Saturday Night Live. And this is Lauren talking about his return here in the book. Now, let me read this. The reality hit me that I needed a job. I wasn't really focused on much other than Three Amigos. I'd spent the better part of 1984 writing it with Randy Newman and Steve Borden, and it was about to go into production with John Landis directing. Meanwhile, there was the failure of the new show. That was the show Lauren did after SNL, by the way. The new show? Yes. That's already on the list. Don't worry. Not only did it sort of fail, noble failure though it was, but it was enormously costly, which I had to bear personally. This was the first time I was producing a show for a license fee. We were deflecting it, and I was losing 100000 a week. We did 11 of them. When it was over, what I was focused on was behaving well. I felt I had such enormous success with Saturday Night that it was character building to have that kind of failure. I had one big, and now it was losing. The last thing I wanted to do was go back and do a television show. 
but there was a very strong financial reality. I won't say I was completely broke, but I was pretty close to it. I wasn't in any danger of going under, and I had lots of periods in my life when I didn't have much money. It was more the dealing with the failure, and then I was getting divorced later on in that year. By the spring of 85, when Three Amigos started shooting, Brandon called me and asked me about coming back. Dick had just decided not to. I said I didn't think so. I think he'd had discussions with Buddy Mora, Billy Crystal's manager, about Billy being the sole host, at least for 10 of them, or something like that. As with a lot of things with Brandon, I only know the part I heard. Jobs like his are always about making sure you have options. When I left in 80, I just thought it would go away. I never really thought of it as having a life of its own because I'd been there at the beginning of it. Someone very powerful told me, you don't want to do Saturday Night Live. Somebody who wants to be you wants to do Saturday Night Live. I thought about that a lot. I promised Brandon that he and I would talk again. And then I think we got to a point in the conversation that he was going to pull the plug on the show. And for me, that was a swing vote. Okay. So, so basically when Brandon said, if you don't do it, I'm going to cancel the show, that convinced him I have to come back and do this. Yeah. So... Brandon Tartikoff begs Lord Michaels to come back, do the show, but he would probably be starting from scratch because Dick Ebersol left. He took his writers and his cast with him. So what's a guy to do except start all over? So that's what he did. I believe his first hire was... Academy Award nominee Randy Quaid for The Last Detail and National Lampoon's Vacation. And his other first hires were Joan Cusack and a young 19-year-old actor named Robert Downey. This would be the same Robert Downey Jr. who kicked off the Marvel Cinematic Universe with his star turn as Tony Stark in Iron Man. But before that, he was just at the beginning. A very long and storied career for Robert Downey Jr. And I believe at this time, he was doing Weird Science with Mm -hmm. another actor who would go on to be in this season with him as a cast member. Yep. And that would be Anthony Michael Hall. He was all of 17 yeah, the youngest cast member ever on SNL. Yep. That's kind of crazy that they would cast Anthony Michael Hall in 85, considering he was just coming off The Breakfast Club? And Weird Science. Don't forget Weird Science. Yeah, I did. I already mentioned Weird Science, but that's kind of okay. nuts that they would get, like, well, Randy Quaid was and a known an already established An actor. already established actor. It's, like, so weird. You never see that anymore on SNL. They never... Like, the only other closest thing I can think of of getting somebody established in the cast was probably when we cover 94-95 when they had Michael McKean in the cast. And Chris Elliott and Janine Garofalo. And Janine Garofalo. But it's like, since that season, it's like you never see, like, known commodities in the cast. I know. Now, wait a second. I got to jump in. Because they've had a known quantity... On that show for 20 years. Keenan Thompson. Keenan and Kill. Oh, that is true. Oh, yeah, I did forget correct. about Keenan. Bo- yeah, Keenan. Yeah. But, like, unless you were, like, a fan of Nickelodeon, nobody knew who Keenan was. Well, actually. Good uh, Burger. Good Burger. Well, seriously. 
Hey, Good Burger. Do I need to say well, anything else? Which is a Nickelodeon movie. It was the first, last, and only movie to be spun off of all that. Okay, but still, I, I'm going to stand by my case here. Okay. Keenan Thompson I will, was a known entity. I will concede he was also Kenan. In Fat Al- he was in Fat Albert, too. So. Okay, yeah, Fat Albert. But I will concede, okay, Keenan Thompson. But besides that, since 94, 95, don't see any known commodities on SNL. Keenan's the exception. What about Mark McKinney? Would you count him? Okay, I'll, I'll count Mark McKinney. So that's two. Okay. But besides that, that's it. Wait, wait, what about... Okay, this is before that time. What about Colin Quinn? He was on remote control. I think everyone had forgotten about Colin Quinn by 1996. But when he mentioned remote control, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that guy from remote control. Yep, it was that guy from remote control. And the rest of the show... Well, back to... Let's go back to 85 here. Yeah, we talked about Anthony Michael Hall. We talked about Robert Downey Jr. We talked about Joan Cusack. We talked about Randy Quaid. Let's go for the rest of the cast. Okay, the rest of the cast, we have uh, a writer from the Domanian season, Terry Sweeney, actually joining the repertory. He was actually one of the first out male gay cast members, if I'm not mistaken. On SNL, yeah, he was the very first. He was the very first out gay man to be a guy cast on member. SNL. That, that's just kind of impressive in 1985. Mm-hmm. That's kind of impressive. And I should add that Terry Sweeney's longtime partner, Lanier Laney, was a writer on SNL in the 1985-86 season. Yep. And then you have Denitra Vance, who is the first black female repertory player on SNL. And also, she's not the first lesbian to be no that's denny dillon yeah that would be denny dillon yeah she was number two yeah number two and then you have uh the rest of the cast as relative unknowns and the comedic players nora dunn john lovitz dennis miller of course nowadays you can't say they're not unknowns because they are legends especially on uh, Saturday Night Live's uh, Golden Age Part 3. Uh, I, don't, I, was like, I don't know what to call the uh, 87 to 91 era. I don't know what else to call it, except Golden Age Part 3. I guess. Yeah. Nah, I would even say that, like, in the early 80s was the Golden Age Part 2. I, I think... Golden Age Part 2 is that uh, late 80s run. Yeah, the late 80s run is definitely the best. Yeah, I mean, basically, basically the Ebersole run was carried by Eddie and Joe. Yep. Yeah, and to quote uh, our good friends at 13 Week Theater, the 84-85 season, Ernersha carried that. But then you have our featured players. We have, from the writer's room, A. Whitney Brown... Al Franken, who returns, who had made his return to SNL since Edie. the last since the last episode of the eighty season. No, 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 hold on. I'm sorry. The eighty one season would because remember he made that cameo and update where he basically buried Gene Dominion. Yes, that was the last episode of the eighty eighty one season. Okay, yeah, because I played that I believe in the director's cut version of that episode. But yeah, mm-hmm. he. 
And my favorite is one he buries Dick Ebersole to. I know Dick, and believe me, he doesn't know Dick. <laughs> okay, then you have Don Novello, another member of the old guard, who brought out his character, Father Guido Sarducci. You have Dan Vitale, who is on, I want to say, what, one, maybe two episodes? He was on a few more, I think, but he didn't make it through the season. I think he made it maybe halfway through, maybe about eight episodes. Wiki yeah, says he... his final episode was February 8th of 86. So he made it about halfway through the season. And then you have a young comic named Damon Wayans, who was on for almost, almost the entire season. We'll get into what happened later but yeah we had sort of the seeds were established for future greatness in the writers room you had a whitney brown tom davis jim downey who was the uh head writer jack handy carol leifer who we talked about a couple weeks ago as a as a cast member on a future entry complete savages with amy asbeck amy asbeck greg yeah she was on wings okay all right. That's, that's all you got? All right. And okay. I love wings. Okay. Okay. That's right. what I was waiting for. That's what we were waiting for. And it made Tony Shalhoub's career. That's also what we were waiting for. Anyway, back to the writers room. We had George Meyer, who would go on to write for The Simpsons. Lord Michaels, because duh. Don Novello. Michael O'Donohue, who is also a member of the old guard. Herb Sargent, I believe he would stay a writer for a long time. Robert Schmeigel, Mr. TV Funhouse himself, John Schwartzwalter, also a Simpsons writer, Terry Sweeney, and a couple of Canadian comic writers named Mark McKinney and Bruce McCullough. They would leave SNL to join Dave Foley, Scott Thompson, and Kevin McDonald for some show on HBO and or the CBC. Oh, I wonder whatever became of that show. I don't know. I'm going to have to watch Prime Video and find out later. That's the joke. Okay, we have all the pieces in place, including, now, apparently Angelica Houston was almost a cast member? Yeah, I think it was like in the middle of the season. Lauren tried to convince her to join the cast, which is weird because, like, I believe at this time, I think she was... Nominated for an Oscar for Prizzy's Honor, which yeah, was the movie you... John Huston, her father, directed with Jack Nicholson. So it's like between that and Randy Quaid, who had already been nominated for an Oscar, it's like, wow, this is like a weird like, season. Like, I basically want to say, okay, so, uh, so we're basically finding all these big names to uh, man the show until we find some comedic chops to hold up the rest of it? I think that's basically what it was. Like, this was basically a show to basically say, okay, we're putting a show on, but we're still, you know, ironing out the kinks in the background. I remember watching reruns of Comedy Central, and I always got that feeling. That this was basically a bridge season. You know what a bridge season is? Yes, I know what a bridge season is. It's like a season that really doesn't matter. 
a season that really doesn't matter. Really, I agree with that. It was one of the better bridge seasons, but still, it didn't matter. Okay, so let's go over who graced 30 Rock in 1985-86. Episode 1, November 9th, 1985, your host, Madonna. Musical guest, Simple Minds. Oh, and the cold opening. Oh, my God. Do we need to describe the cold open? You might have to because, okay, famously not included in any of the reruns. Okay, in the cold open, Warren Michaels and Brandon Tartikoff issue urine tests to check the new cast members for drug use. (laughs) And it's the joke is, hey, the original cast did drugs all the time. And it's 1985 now, and drugs aren't cool. Drugs are bad. Okay. So, of course, Simple Minds performs alive and kicking and sanctifier itself. And we had an appearance by Penn and Teller, the first appearance of the Limits of the Imagination sketch. And Dennis Miller's first job as anchor on the newly rechristened Weekend update. Yeah, because remember, it was Saturday Night News in the Ebersol era. So they just changed it back to update for the new season. Yeah, and it still remains update to this day. Episode 2. Host, Chevy Chase, musical guest, Sheila E. Okay, alright, so we're going to go into some serious stuff here. Okay, so let me get the SNL book out. Okay, this is from Terry Sweeney on Chevy hosting the second show. Now, all right, this is oh, God. I'm I'm oh God. Go this, on. This is gonna cr- I'm cringing. Just oh, all right. Chevy hosted the second show, and we were all so excited because to us, Chevy was like a god. This was someone returning who had been one of the original people and was this legendary figure, and we were just excited to work with him. And when he got there, he was a monster. I mean, he insulted everybody. He said to Robert Downey Jr., didn't your father used to be a successful director? Whatever happened to him? Boy, he sure died, you know. He sure went to hell. Downey turned ashen. And there's another part from Terry's bit in the book which I'm not going to read because it's horrible. And so just, no, I'm not going to, he suggests a sketch for Terry. And if you know anything about Terry and what was going on at the time in the 1980s, no, no, we're not here to educate you. I'm not going to say it. No, I think we mentioned that already a few moments ago. We did. Wait, no, I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, we about, him being, the... about him being gay? Yes, yeah, we, did. we did. Yes, we that, did. But we didn't mention the sketch. We're not going to. And we're not no, no, going. No, 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 no. I totally understand that. I- I'm just saying that we we talked about his his lifestyle choice. Yes, but again, Google it. We're not here to educate you. But oh, that thing he's oh god, what he said to to Downey. Oh my god. That's just terrible. That's awful. 
Now I understand the choices Robert Downey Jr. made after that. Oh my god, that was terrible. Unbelievable. Episode 3. Your host, Pee Wee Herman. Of course, Paul Rubens in his famous character. And musical guest, Queen Ida and the Bon Tom Zydeco Band. Ooh! They performed La Louisia and Frisco Zydeco. Oh, but hey, we do have a cameo in this Thanksgiving sketch mm-hmm. from someone who would be a cast member in the following season playing a pilgrim, Phil Hartman. Yep. yep. So we have a former cast member in Robin Duke and a future cast member in Phil Hartman. And then, uh, oh God, I don't do we, I don't feel right mentioning who played Diana Ross in that sketch. I just don't feel right doing that. All I'm going to say is he couldn't get Denitra Vance to do it. You couldn't? You I mean, could. she was literally right there. She was right there. She's right there. And obviously, Joan Cusack's not going to do it. So, yeah, all that happened. So you can tell that the show is kind of sort of still trying to uh, feel itself. And uh, I remember watching this episode and not one of the best episodes of this season. Yeah, I do think that this was on in a compilation tape for the 85-86 season, because I remember taking out from the library, and that episode is on that tape. Yeah. Episode four. Host John Lithgow, musical guest Mr. Mister, who performed Broken Wings and Kyrie. So take... Kyrie, not, not Kyrie, Kyrie. No, it's Kyrie. You interrupted me because I was going to sing Broken Wings. Take these broken wings and learn to fight. <laughs> but also, I believe this is the first appearance of the John Lovett's Master Thespian sketch with John yep. Lithgow. And mm-hmm. I don't think we mentioned it two episodes earlier in uh, episode two with Chevy Chase was the debut of Tommy Flanagan, the pathological liar from John Lovitz. The following is a public service message from Pathological Liars Anonymous. Hello, my name is Tommy Flanagan, and I'm a member of Pathological Liars Anonymous. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm the president of that organization. <laughs> I didn't always lie. No, when I was a kid, I, I told the truth. But uh, then one day I caught, caught stealing money out of my mother's purse, and I lied. I, I told her it was homework, that, that my teacher told me to do it, and, and she got fired. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> so after that, lying was easy for me. Lied about my age and joined the army. I was, uh, I was 13 at the time. Yeah. I went to Vietnam, and I was injured catching a mortar shell in my teeth. And they made me a three-star general. And, and, and then I got a job in journalism, running for the National Inquiry uh, Geographic. <laughs> yes, I was making 20000 a month. In fact, I won the Pulitzer Prize that year. Yeah, that's a ticket. 
Did we get a, yeah, there was a Tommy Flanagan, uh, the one who likes to talk about his wife. Uh, what was her name? Morgan Fairchild. Yeah, that's a ticket. Did you mention Morgan Fairchild? Yes. I think I got to play it. I think I got to play it. Play it! You're gorgeous. You're gorgeous. <laughs> uh, Gene Rayburn, you are a pervert. But also, we have a guest appearance in this episode by Sam Kinison. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I believe, because um, this was December of 1985, John Lithgow obviously would have been promoting Santa Claus, the movie. Yes. And, and Mike... Oh, I, not that movie. And Mike, I showed you a clip from the Late Late Show with James Corden where John talked about the movie. And I believe John was talking about how he was filming the movie and he was like in a cab somewhere in like London because they were shooting at Pinewood. And the cab driver was like, "What movie are you filming? Oh, uh, Santa Claus the movie. Oh, who's producing that? The Salkinds. Oh, the Salkinds. I hope you got your money, mate." <laughs> <laughs> but the best part in the clip is John talks about how him and Dudley Moore watched the movie in the screening room. And he says Dudley's words were after watching it. Oh, career killer. <sighs> but, you know, but James is like, oh, certainly that was not a career killer. And apparently, like, that movie is, like, beloved in the UK. Well, I'm not going to say what I, well, actually, I am going to say what I loved most about it. Sheena Easton's cover of Christmas All Over the World. Oh, it's great. It's a great cover by Sheena Easton, especially the one later from New Edition. But I like we are... the New Edition version better. But... The New Edition version's better, but Sheena Easton, she owned that. She did. She did. Hey, did I ever tell you guys my favorite part of Santa Claus the movie? Let me guess. The end? <laughs> Nothing! <laughs> no, Chico was right. The end. <laughs> The end when John Lithgow was that movie. The end when John Lithgow was floating on the, those candy canes he ate in space, and in he s- could breathe. I'm guessing this follows the logic of Superman Four, <laughs> which coincidentally was not produced by the Salkinds. It was produced by Canon. Uh, okay, so I'm clearly in the minority saying Santa Claus the movie is a horrible movie. Yes. It's only you and John, the only two. I'll own up to that one. All right. I'll own up up to it. Next up. Oh, oh, here we go. Okay. First of all, this is the first, uh, because remember, this season had two openings. It had sort of the uh, photograph opening, the sticker opening. Now it has the starting with the limo open with uh, Joan Cusack writing on the windshield. Uh, And that's a better opening. I like that opening better. I really do. Much, much better uh, quality opening to it. Episode five. Your host, Tom Hanks. Musical guest, Sade, who performs Is It a Crime and The Sweetest Taboo. But this is the first hosting appearance of Tom Hanks. What would be the first of many, which would be immortalized in 1990 with the Five Timers Club, featuring a Where young Conan he- O'Brien. Where he basically said, 
Now that I've hosted five times, I can pretty much do whatever I want. And we have Joe Cusack playing Brooke Shields, playing up a joke that was on Weekend Update last week, saying spying isn't cool. An aging teen supermodel with big eyebrows talks about her influence on the course of history. And her boyfriend tells Barbara Howard why he's in the doghouse. And Ringo Starr reveals his deeper thoughts about John and Yoko. All this and more on this edition of Entertainment Tonight. Hi, I'm Mary Hart. And I'm Rob Weller. Last week on E.T., we told you that supermodel Brooke Shields will be appearing on billboards as part of the new government anti-spoking, excuse me, spying isn't cool campaign. Barbara Hauer caught up to Brooke as she prepared for her photo session and asked her about guys. Oh, Barbara, I met this guy at a party and he was really cute. But then he pulled out out this marker film, Barbara, and he told me that he was selling it to the Russians. It was a real turn-off. Then we talked to George Michael, lead singer of the British group Wham, and asked him about the rumors that his relationship with Brooke was on the rocks. Barbara Howard caught him backstage on tour. You know, and we see Barbara, it's a, I have this little Islamic camera, and I was taking the film out as I asked Brooke if she wanted to have lunch at the Russian tea room, and now she won't talk to me. <laughs> my movie career stalled after my mom turned down offers for me to play roles with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. So. There was that. Episode six. This was the episode right before Christmas. Terry Gar hosts, and you have two musical guests, the Dream Academy and the Cult. Dream Academy performed Life in a Northern Town, and the Cult performed She Sells Sanctuary. We do have Penn and Teller appear on this episode, so that's something. Episode seven. Your host, Harry Dean Stanton, musical guest, The Replacements, who performed Bastards of Young and Kiss Me on the Bust. The entire band, according to Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, was D-R-U-N-K drunk during both of their performances. And the band could often be mouthing profanities into the camera, stumbling into each other, falling down, dropping their instruments, and behaving like the apathetic drunks they were. Now, according to this article, they were banned permanently from Saturday Night Live, but Paul Westerberg would return as a solo musical guest during the 19th season. That would be, what, 1993, 94? Yeah, that would be that season, yeah, 93-94. Yeah, but yeah, it was basically known for the replacements being ripped out of their skulls, basically. And also finding their way onto uh, Lauren Michaels' very short ban list. Yeah, but Paul Westerberg would return to the show on December 4th, 1993 as a solo artist. So. Right, I'm talking about as a band, but yeah. As a band, they were banned. Haha. I'm sorry. 
And as an added note, we talked about the opening monologue from this episode back in episode 190 of the podcast when we played the clip of Randy Quaid as Herb from Burger King. Episode 8. Host, Dudley Moore. Musical guest, Al Green. Wait, hold on. Let me guess what Dudley Moore was there trying to promote. That's all I got to say. That movie right there. Well, right it's, there. It's a month after Christmas. I don't think he needs to be promoting the movie anymore. He's probably promoting something else in, in January. Probably. He, he's living off the residuals of that movie. Santa he probably, Claus the movie. The movie I hate. The movie I hate. Santa Claus the movie. Do you hate Santa Claus the movie as much as I love wings? In an odd way? Yes. Hmm. Did you know that Santa Claus the movie totally ruined John Lithgow and Dudley Moore's careers? Well, John Lithgow said. That's what (laughs) Dudley said in the screening room. Yeah, that's why John Lithgow's career was made on Third Rock from the Sun and Dudley Moore's career was on, on Arthur. Arthur yeah. 2 on the road. Arthur 2, okay, that's fine. Yeah. All right, by this time, Al Green would have been the Reverend Al Green, so his performances of Going Away in True Love, I believe, would be of the gospel variety. And, uh, well, oh, God, this, oh, Jesus, really? Oh, oh, no. No. Certainly you have an excerpt about this in your book, Greg, but, uh, I don't know if there is. This but... has a sketch about a beauty pageant for pregnant teenage girls featuring Cabrini Green Jackson, played by Denise Trevance. I can't even begin to unpack this, guys. I don't no. even want to touch that. There's no. so many no. things that are wrong there. Uh, no, uh, no, no. Uh, okay, I have a quote from Damon Waynes about this episode, about the episode Dudley Moore hosted from the SNL book, okay? Okay. I was doing this joke about how I was born with a club foot, and so I used to do this whole routine about when I was young, how I used to wear orthopedic shoes, and I had a shoe with, like, a five-inch heel, and I used to walk with a limp. And I did be walking with the limp and said people that knew me thought I was cool. Thank God I was in the ghetto. I did this thing about how I wasn't a fighter at the time. I was just a very passive kid. And I said, you don't find many handicapped boys. And I did, you know, imagine some crippled dude coming up to you. Give me your lunch money. But Dudley Moore walked with a limp too. When I started doing the guy walking with the limp, he walked over to Lauren and like, you're not going to let him do it. So Lauren also killed that bit. But then at the end, he let me do it. Dudley saw it at a dress rehearsal. I was looking at one like, you know, this is a live show and I'm going to do shit anyway. Dudley was like, it can't go on my foot. I didn't do it to mess with Dudley. It was in my stand-up, a really funny bit I used to do, but it was own insecurity. The reason I came out with the bit was the same reason, the feeling that people were watching. It was like, even if I don't do the joke, don't people look at that boot on your foot and go, damn, that's big. This would be, you know what? Pay attention, guys. This becomes relevant in a few episodes. Yes. Episode nine. Your host, Ron Reagan. Musical guests, The Nelsons. So you have the son of Ronald Reagan and the sons of Ricky Nelson as the musical guest. Of course, half of that band would uh, break apart from the band, leaving just Matthew and Gunner 
hands. We all know what happens with those two. The Nelsons performed Won't Walk Away and Do You Know What I Know? We have Penn and Teller back for another appearance. And this is Dan Vitale's final episode as a cast member. And A. Whitney Brown would appear on Weekend Update with, I believe this is the first of many of his big picture. Yes. Yes, this would be a recurring segment on Update over the years. But this episode is mostly remembered for the opening skit in the monologue where Ron Reagan does a risky business style scene in the White House. Yes, I remember that when it originally aired. Yes. And there's also this funny Back to the Future sketch with where Ron has to go back in time and have Ron and Nancy meet on like the set of Hellcats of the Navy. <laughs> and John Lovitz is playing Doc Brown. <laughs> Well, who could that be? Oh, Mom, Dad, I, I invited Dr. Brown over for dessert. Run! Run! Well, I did it! I discovered a way to travel through time! You see this blender? It's actually a time machine! Oops. Oops, speaking of time, uh, it's 10 o'clock, Mommy. Uh, let's go upstairs and watch Jane on Falcon Crest. Oh, do we have to? I just ate. <laughs> oh, Mommy... Now, Jane's not so bad, and we do need the alimony. That's true. Come on. Hello. Oh. Hello, Dr. Brown. Oh. Now, uh, Dr. Brown, come on in and tell me about this invention. Here. Well, I got the idea for about it, oh, for it about 30 years ago, when I was working on the old RKO lot. In fact, it was right around here. I was a technical advisor on Hellcats of the Navy when all of a sudden a sandbag fell on uh, some fading actor's head. It was then that I got the idea for my flux capacitor. Yeah, well, how does it work? Well, the first thing you have to do is plug it in. Just like that. Now, then, you see this button here? That's mix. Then there's liquefy. Then blend, puree, crumb, blend again, and then the final button is time travel. But before I push it, I'm going to set the clock back, say, 30 years to exactly 30 years ago today. By the way, uh, Doc, where'd you get this blender? Oh, I, uh, I stole it from a 7-Eleven run by some very dangerous-looking Libyans. Yep. Oh, I'll get it. It's probably for me. Hi, how are you? Press the button. Press the button. <laughs> Say what you will about Back to the Future. It made for damn fine comedy. It did. That episode is also on that SNL eighty five eighty six compilation tape. So if you can find it out there, and there the Tom Hanks episodes on there too. So because of course it is. Okay, next up, episode ten. Jerry Hall, your host. 
musical guests, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble. They perform Say What and Change It. Jimmy Vaughn appears on Change It. And, oh, wow. So Mick Jagger appears in the cold opening with Tommy Flanagan hitting on Jerry Hall at a bar. Uh-oh. 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 Okay, I want to make sure it is valid there. Okay, thank you. Quite, quite valid. Quite valid. Jagger confirms that, yes, Flanagan claims to know him. He remarks that the two have been on a fishing trip during a recent weekend where Hall didn't know where he was, telling Tommy, hey, I owe you for this one. Featuring so a guest they... appearance by Sam Kinison. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Really good stuff there. Okay, Mike, get the soundboard ready for this. <laughs> oh, Jesus, here we go. Oh no. I, I'm just gonna say this man's birthday is today. No, his no, birthday was yesterday. What am I talking? Never mind. Who cares? Who cares? All right. Who cares? Episode 11. The host? Mr. Black. Musical guests? The Neville Brothers. This was A. Whitney Brown's first episode as a full fledged cast member, while the Neville Brothers will perform The Big Chief and The Midnight Key. Both really good songs. I love those songs. And, uh, yeah. You don't, you don't need to know anything about this episode. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly remarkable for any one reason. Just okay, like his run on the... <laughs> okay, go, go ahead, Mike. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, valid question... Which Mr. Black are we talking about? Are we talking about the one that occupied the White House or the one with the big chin? The one with the big chin. Okay. Yeah. What the hell was he doing in 1985-86? Uh, subbing for Johnny Carson, mostly. Okay, well, that would get you a... a, a and he probably had ass. the Doritos ads at this time. Probably. Uh, Okay, well, well, yeah, a combination of the two would get you a hosting gig on SNL. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, episode 12. Host, Griffin Dunn, musical guest, Roseanne Cash, who sings Hold On and I Don't Know Why You Don't Want Me. Another appearance by Penn and & Teller. And mm, now, remember when we said that David Wayans had some disagreements with uh, Lord Michaels and the writers? This would all come to a head in this episode where you have a Mr. Monopoly sketch. David Wayans plays a police officer. officer, Just a regular run-of-the-mill police officer. Or at least that's what it was written as. He was written as a regular police officer. Just a regular police officer. (laughs) And this is probably the genesis of one of his best characters, one of his best bits ever. He plays the police officer (laughs) as a gay stereotype. (laughs) Okay, I have a quote from writer Andy Breckman here about the sketch. Oh, Andy Breckman! Didn't he create Monk? Yes! Oh, didn't, didn't Monk have Tony Shalhoub? Yes, it did. Didn't, it did. Didn't, didn't Monk also have Jason Gray Stanford? Yes, it did. 
I love Jason Gray Stanford. Ronan Warriors made that man's career. Sure. Are you proud of yourself? <laughs> Quite. <laughs> All right, let me That's read it. That's the joke. I wrote a sketch for John Lovitz called Mr. Monopoly. The idea was he was a lawyer. And you know the character from the Monopoly board? The character that they draw on the Monopoly game with the little man with the hat? The idea for the sketch was John Lovitz was that man, Mr. Monopoly, and he was a very successful lawyer because he had all these get-out-of-jail-free cards. His clients would go to jail, and he would come in with these cards, and the cops would eat them. Damn you, Mr. Monopoly! And that was the idea for the sketch, and Lovitz was very funny. And David Raines, I wrote as a cop who had one line, he would say, Hey, Larry, your lawyer is here to see you. That was it. Dress rehearsal went fine. I didn't know any of the political bullshit was going on, but I did know Demon had been angry about various things, including something apparently that was cut at dress rehearsal. And he was furious and he decided between dress and air he was going to quit SNL right then and there. He was fed up. And this is how he quit. During the live show, he made this entrance in the sketch, not as a cop, but as his flamboyant queen gay character that he later did on In the Living Color. He came in prancing and delivered, Your lawyer's here to see you, very swishy. Hey, easy on the suit. Oh, shut up and sit down. All right, Carrasco. You moved a lot of dough, but you got caught. Yeah, you're going to jail for a long, long time. I wouldn't be so sure about that. My lawyer's going to be here any minute. I don't think you get the message, Carrasco. We got you cold. Yes, we've got the whole transaction on videotape. We've got three people that saw you kill that undercover cop. Where's my lawyer? I got a date with the old lady tonight. And I don't want to keep her waiting. I don't think you've been listening, Carrasco. There's not a lawyer in the whole world that's going to get you off this time. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> I believe you're detaining and Mr. Angel Carrasco. I'm representing him in this matter. That's me. Hi. Let your things on. You're going home. Oh, right. Are you crazy? This man's being held without bail for first-degree murder and narcotics trafficking. He's not going anywhere. Oh, no. <laughs> Get out of jail free. You. You're that guy from the game, Mr. Monopoly. In the flesh. This card may be kept until needed or sold. Damn you, Monopoly. All right, Monopoly. They said you were the best man, and you are. You're the best money can buy. Thank you. What happened to you, Monopoly? You used to be a civic leader. Why, you built this neighborhood. I grew up in one of your houses on Baltic Avenue. Really? (laughs) Well, tell me, what address? 319. Oh, I know that property. Little Green House. (laughs) Pity I had to tear it down and build that red hotel. Uh, So now you're defending scum like him, huh? Well, let's just say I got smart. Real estate used to mean big money in this town, real big money. But then the little thing came along called rent control. Look at this. <laughs> Ventnor Avenue, with two houses, rent $330. And that's a yellow. I can't even get a lawnmower for $330. So now you're a big lawyer. Well, a defense attorney who gets results can make a mean money in this country, and I guarantee results. If the Parker brothers could see you now, they'd puke. Why you ain't in jail, Miss... Oh, that's right. You missed the monopoly. Mm-hmm. Well, good day, gentlemen. Why, you son of a... Captain, don't say it. By the way, Captain, I noticed that's a very handsome ring you're wearing. I hope you've paid the $75 luxury tax on that. Now pay it. See that you do. 
Mr. Carrasco, I'll meet you downstairs in my car. Where you parked? Where do you think? Free parking. <laughs> you can sit in the front next to Mr. Von Bulow. Here we go, gentlemen. A hundred dollar bill. Have yourselves a nice dinner on me, Mr. Monopoly. He totally derailed the sketch, derailed the sketch completely. The audience was completely thrown. What's a gay cop doing in there? Is it about the cop or is it about Lovitz? It was just stunning. I was with Lauren watching and Lauren turned to me and said, that's it, I've got to fire him. Lauren had no choice. David had sabotaged the sketch live on air and Lauren fired him that night, which I think is what Damon wanted anyway. I was just sitting in the corner thinking, I'm sorry I supplied the bullets and then I was going to disappear at one o'clock forever. I remember Tom Davis, who I guess was also a guest writer or was just hanging out there saying, I bet anyone in this room that within three years, we'll all be standing in line to see a Damon Wayne's movie. That is not the end of his career. And he was right. This was the start of his career. Wow. And I also have something Damon said. What was I supposed to do? I was supposed to just be a cop, but I was frustrated because I think Lauren thought he was protecting me by not putting me out there, letting me do my thing. So I started walking around wearing dark shades. When they asked me what was wrong, I said, it's too white in here. It hurts my eyes. I was really on the verge of a nervous breakdown or just taking a gun and killing everybody. That night in question, the Mr. Monopoly sketch, I didn't think the sketch was funny. I thought it was a one joke premise. I was supposed to play a cop and we were doing a takeoff on like Miami Vice. This was the hot show at the time, and I was supposed to be Tubbs, and Randy Quaid was playing the other guy. So between dress and air, they pushed that button. I wore a suit, so I thought, at least I'll look good in the sketch. And then between dress and air, Lauren comes to me and says, the sketch is not working. You look like a pimp. It was because of me the sketch wasn't working. He wanted me to wear a uniform. So I got angry. I didn't think the sketch was funny. I had a bunch of straight man lines, and I think that Lauren blamed me for the sketch not being funny. When I had told him that it was a one-joke premise, the guy's waiting to get out of jail, and Mr. Monopoly comes in and gets him again get out of jail free card that was the big joke it's like 12 minutes until mr monopoly finally walks in and then they say the reason it wasn't working was that i looked like a pimp at dress rehearsal and it just said f it i was like okay i'll be a cop in a uniform but i'm going to find a character and it would have been funny if i had not done it with such anger i was so angry i basically wanted them to fire me i wanted to quit but i thought they would sue me it was the Brillstein Gray management company trying to manage everything at one time as opposed to getting on with my needs. They were representing Lauren. Lauren was the big dog. And Lauren replied, Damon broke the big rule. I went berserk. The whole business of trust when you're in an ensemble, the whole deal with the network in my mind is that we operate on the level of trust. We have live air. We're not just going to go up there and say F, 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 F. And I think David, in his defense, he didn't get a big enough laugh with what he was doing. And he went back to a character that he had done in Beverly Hills Cop. That, of course, would be... In the banana in the tailpipe. Right. And, of course, David Wayans gone from the cast that night. Episode 13. Host, George Went. Musical guest, Philip Glass. At this point, SNL's basically teetering on the brink of cancellation. So what do you do in this? You play up the fact that you are teetering on the brink of cancellation. And this is what they came up with. Oh, here he comes. Oh, well, he doesn't look... Well, he looks all right. He's putting up a brain front. Yeah. Hi, Fred. Uh, can I get your attention yeah. just for a second? 
As you all know, uh, the network has decided to bring in Francis Ford Cobb to direct tonight's show. Uh, this means that he has complete creative control. I can't believe they're doing this to you, Lauren. Well, Francis has some ideas of his own about the show. They're not my ideas, but the network obviously feels he has something to contribute. Coppola, that raving egomaniac, he'll ruin the show! Listen, I'm sure NBC knows what they're doing. They're number one, they're the number one network, and they think Francis Ford Coppola can make a contribution. Yeah, but what'll happen to you? Well, I'll still be here in a supervisor role before I move full-time into wrestling. But you think the show's never been better. Lauren, if you go, Terry, I, I appreciate go. that, but it's no. out of my hands. Francis is calling the shots now, and I hope you're all going to give him full cooperation. Okay, I'll stay. I want you all to go out there and do the best show you can tonight. We've got George Wendt as host from Cheers. It could be a great show. Well, what about the opening of the show? Is it still going to be live from New York on Saturday night? Yeah. I honestly don't know. I think that's up to Francis now. <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola presents. They're using the old NBC camera pit. If you're a fan of Idents, you know what I'm talking about. Francis Ford Coppola Saturday Night Live. Starring George Went as the host. Cast in order of appearance. <laughs> Terry Sweeney, Nora Dunn, Anthony Michael, John Lovitz, Nature Vance, Randy Quaid, Robert Downey, Dennis Miller, Joan Cusack. Music by Philip Glass. Produced and directed by Francis Ford Coppola. New York's now. Now. to say this has really been a hectic week for me and quite a contrast from the past few months you know when i've basically just been sitting around on a bar stool drinking beer all day and, and of course uh, before that i was working very hard on cheers i cut great great well, why are we stopping now well don't worry george you were great but i want to get one more take you know just to be sure well that was uh, it's kind of a joke francis i don't know if they're gonna laugh again you know? don't worry about it you stand by Okay. Let, me, let me talk to the folks. Folks, all right, folks, if I could have your attention, please. What we're trying to do here is to create the illusion that the host, played by George, is, is going to tell you a joke. Uh, George? George, what's the funny part? Oh, boy. Uh, funny part? I guess it'd be towards the end, uh, Francis. Uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, I guess that part where I uh, say that I've been drinking uh, in, a, in a bar... And the audience thinks, of course, that was Cheers, but it really, I reveal that it wasn't. You know, that's probably the funny part there. Yeah, right, right. Okay. So when he says that, what I want you to do is that I want you to react by laughing. But if you don't feel like laughing, I want you to go back and remember something from your childhood. You know, it's called sense memory. You remember something that was funny. And then, and then you'll laugh at the right point. Okay, okay, stand by. Let me get around here. 
And here we go. Ready? And. Boy, what a uh, hectic week this has been, you know? Friday, uh... Quite a contrast, actually, from the past few months where basically I've been sitting around on a bar stool drinking beer all day. <laughs> and then before that, I was uh, working on chairs. <laughs> you know, um, I've been uh, told that Cheers is uh, the sitcom for people uh, who don't really like to watch sitcoms. And I have to believe it's true, you know, because uh, one day I was at this party, and this guy walks up to me, and distinguished-looking guy, I swear he looked like a brain surgeon. He had, uh, you know, the horn-rimmed glasses, salt-and-pepper beard and everything. And he says to me... All right, cut. That's wonderful, George. It's really... We're... Wait a minute. You know, you really want to cut it there? I worked kind of hard on this monologue for you. Oh, it shows. Oh, great. Right. You did great. You did great. Okay. Well, okay. All right. Uh, thanks a lot. You're sure? Don't worry about it. We're going to fix it in the editing. Great. Right. Okay. <laughs> Go in your room and work on the next scene. All right. All right. Hi, Francis. I'm I'm actor writer Terry Sweeney. Oh, hi, Terry. How are you? Oh, hi, hi. Uh, listen, um, uh, pardon me for asking, but uh, there's a rumor around that says you're the boss of the show now. Yeah, I'm directing the show now. Thank God! Finally, somebody who knows what he's doing. <laughs> You've got to save the sinking ship. Can you do it? Well, come on. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Terry. I gotta move on. <laughs> <laughs> That's ba the whole show is basically. <laughs> That's basically the cusp of the show. It's like, okay, so Francis Ford is directing the episode, and he's and... basically causing havoc with the cast because yep. he thinks this is like a movie. And no, it's a live television show. It's not a movie. Nope. There you go. By the way, there's that one joke. I think it was. I think it, I don't know if it's Joan or Terry says to Lauren, "What are you gonna do after this?" Oh, I'll probably go to wrestling because you know it was airing once a month at this time. Saturday night main event. Saturday night's main event, and you know who was the uh, co-executive producer on it with Vince? Dick Ebersol. Dick Ebersol. Yup. I know this because I watched the uh, episode of the Thirty for Thirty with this was the XFL. By the way, go back to previous entry, the XFL 2001, where we talk all about the XFL, the original version, not the 2020 version or the 2023 upcoming version with The Rock. Yeah. Episode 14, host Oprah Winfrey, musical guest Joe Jackson, uh, who would be performing Right and Wrong and soul kiss. I'm sorry, but if you're not performing stepping out, I'll pass. Thank you very much. No, forget that. But yeah, I wonder what Oprah Winfrey would be plugging right now. The color purple. Well, hold on. Hold on. Her show didn't start yet. Was the color was purple. The color purple would have been not. That's what she'd be promoting is the color purple. Exactly. Oh, okay. So you're a few months early with uh, Oprah Winfrey show, but not a bad uh, guess there. But yeah, Color Purple was 
her big role in 85. And of course, Oprah Winfrey would return to the show. Tracy Morgan would be playing her, but she'd return to the show. Episode 15. Host, Tony Danza. Musical guest, Laurie Anderson. Who performed Baby Doll and The Day the Devil. Of course, avant-garde artist. So, yeah. About a step below Philip Glass. Not necessarily Philip Glass, but a step below. Episode 16. Host Catherine Oxenberg and musical guests Paul Simon with Ladysmith Black Bombazo. Now, this would be around the time that Paul Simon would be releasing the Graceland record. Yes. So he would be performing You Can Call Me Al, and he would also be performing Homeless and Graceland with Ladysmith Black Mombazo. Actually, it would just be Homeless with Ladysmith Black Mombazo. Uh, Graceland he did by himself. But, oh, this wouldn't be the last time Lady Smith Black Mombazo would appear on SNL. Because remember, they were in that SNL TV Funhouse skit with Dennis Haysbert, Lady Smith Black Mombazo in outer space. Yes, yes. Yeah. That was, I believe, in the Natalie Portman episode of SNL back in 2006. A very great episode of SNL with Natalie Portman. That was the same episode with the rap. Yep. And Paul Simon actually did double duty as host and musical guest on this episode. Yeah, because they were doing, like, the thing with co-hosts, like, for some reason. Mm -hmm. Because I believe, like, now I did look in a passage in the SNL book. Like, Lauren, like, because the Ron Reagan episode was very big for the show. Like, Lauren was considering having Ron co-host with Oprah. And Ron talks about how in the book, like, Oprah was not a fan of that for some reason. Hmm. So. There you go. Episode 17. Hosted by Jimmy Breslin. With musical guests, Level 42 and E.G. Daly. Level 42 performs Something About You. E.G. Daly performs Say It, Say It. Of course, People our age, Greg, we would know E.G. Daly for one of two things. One, as a former contestant on NBC's The Voice, and two, as the voice of Tommy Pickles. But mostly just the voice of Tommy Pickles. A baby's gotta do what a baby's gotta do. (laughs) But for those of you who don't know who Jimmy Breslin is... He's like one of the most all-time legendary newspaper columnists of all time. Well, we have talked about him in the past. Yeah, we did. Yeah, he actually made a uh, appearance on The Critic. Yes. Yep. Yes, he did. But this episode not only featured Level 42 and EGTLE, but we had special appearances by Sam Kinison and in the cold open... Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Ready to fight Michael Hall. Okay. Uh, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, 159 pounds. (laughs) 
Champ, buddy, uh, would you characterize this as a grudge match? <clears throat> Let's just say I'm looking forward to it. All right, here comes the challenger now. Oh, he looks confident. Okay. <laughs> All right, Mike, the menace hall, 150 pounds. Marvin, a lot of people are calling this, uh, well, almost a mismatch. Well, I figure if athletes can go into the movies, then I it's only fair to let the actors into the sport. So I'm giving the kid a shot. Fair, fair enough. Now, Mike, Mike, I gotta ask you a question. I guess, <clears throat> I guess the big question on everybody's mind tonight is, uh, what in the hell ever possessed you to get in the ring with Marvin Hagler? Well, Dennis, basically, it's a career move. I figure it's finally my chance, once and for all, to prove that I'm more than just another young actor, another teen actor, all that Brat Pack Dookie. And it was Dookie. I am also a potential middleweight contender, baby! Hang on, hang on. Mike, Mike, a career, a career move. Your fans love you, but a career move. Two minutes in the ring, you could come out like Jerry Lewis. <laughs> Look, Miller. My manager's set the fight up, and he says I can take this fool in three rounds or less. So that's who I'm listening to, my manager. And you believe him? Of course I believe him. Who, who is your manager? Well, here he is now. Who is this guy? My manager. My manager. My manager. And what's your name, sir? Uh, Tommy Semegan, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, this kid's the greatest fighter since uh, Joe... No, Muhammad... Mahatma Gandhi. <laughs> In fact, he's never been knocked out. But he hasn't had any fights, Tommy. Exactly. He'll be fresh. Yeah. <laughs> Why, I've managed them all. Uh, Dempsey, uh, Marconi, and... Uh... You mean Marciano. No, I mean uh, uh, Mussolini. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found him. All he had was his name. Mussolini. Yeah. It's Italian for little moose. In fact, the champion, you know. Yeah. Haile Selassie. And he boxed for about four, uh, five, a whole month. Yeah. Yeah, he started out as a heavyweight, and he finished the fight as a paperweight. Yeah. yeah. Tommy, I still don't see how you think Michael Hall could ever defeat Marvin Hagler. Marvin Hagler? Oh, no, no. I meant Marvin Hamlet. Yeah. <laughs> Marvin Hagler, kill him. To fight Anthony Michael Hall, he's like 17, 18 years old, Marvin Hagler. Why do you want to fight poor Anthony Michael like, Hall? This guy is 130 pounds soaking wet. You saw him in the Breakfast Club. He's like, no, you don't want to have like Johnny Bender come in and mess with you. No. And finally, pretty much the coda of this entire season. The season finale, episode 18. Your hosts, Angelica Houston and Billy Martin, with musical guests George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic, who performed Let's Take It to the Stage and Do Fries Go With That Shake. And this is where basically the entire season just sort of comes together and blows up in NBC's face. But before that... Yeah. We got to mention, Damon Wayans did come back to perform a stand-up set in this episode. So it was kind of Lauren's way of saying to Damon, hey, no hard feelings. Yeah, but like we said, that's not the end of Damon Wayans' career. 
That was the beginning. And then oh. you have also returning, albeit for a longer hiatus, after six years, Al Franken rejoins the cast. And this is his only appearance until season 14 when he returns as NBC's one man satellite uplink. Oh, yes. Oh, that was great back in the day when he was covering the, uh, the, the Gulf War and stuff like that. Yep. Yes. Oh, that's great. And, and season 14 would be around the time of the Gulf War, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that, that would have been like what 88, 89? No, 90, Gulf, 80, Gulf, 80, no, Gulf War was 90, no, Gulf War was ninety-one. Okay. Uh, I believe he did one man satellite uplink for the eighty-eight election, which I think would have been around season fourteen. Well, yeah, Gulf War is ninety-one, but I remember back in like ninety, he was doing Desert Shield, Desert Storm stuff with the one man satellite uh, uplink. But I'm really curious who decided that the final episode of this season should be hosted by two people who have no common relation, Angelica Houston and Billy Martin. That makes no sense to me. I'm sorry. No, no. one's an actress. One's a former baseball manager. Yeah. And apparently they're both friends of Lord Michaels and we're doing this as a paper. I don't know. That's just bizarre. Well, remember, Angelica Houston was... Almost the cast member. Almost. 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 But okay, we got to get into the big final crescendo of the season, okay? Yes. Brandon was going to cancel the show, and Lauren said, look, just give you another season to prove that we can still do it. And Brandon Mm -hmm. agreed. So one of the things was they had to retool the cast. Basically blow up everything. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Now, before I play this, just remember, this is supposed to be a parody on season-ending cliffhangers. And since Billy Morton's the host, you know the big joke with Billy Morton was George Steinbrenner would keep hiring and firing him like every couple of years. So mm-hmm. just remember that since you will not probably get the joke in just the audio medium. Okay. So here we go. Hey, hey. But the good nights, huh? Oh, it's yeah. hard to believe we're not going to be back here till next October. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's really yeah. strange. Hey, I'm going to miss all you this summer. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I am pumped for next year. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, does anybody smell gasoline? Huh? <laughs> Billy, what are you doing? I'm setting a room on fire. That's what I'm doing. What do you mean? What do I mean? Listen, Michaels, if I'm fired, then I'm taking the cast with me. Billy, are you crazy? If you set the cast on fire, they won't be able to do the show next year. That's right, Big Shot. I've got to go in there. What are you doing? i got to wave goodbye. Don't ask any questions, John. Just go downstairs to my limousine and wait for me there. Writers, writers. Get this microphone. Uh, there's some candies and chocolates in the dressing room. Go on in there and help yourself. Oh, you did a you great job. Thank you. Help yourself. Is Billy Martin around? Here I am. 
never felt better. <laughs> well, me too. Good night, everybody. Good night. And then, who will survive? Who will perish? Tune in October 11th. <laughs> and every credit has question mark next to it. You're not gonna kill Akira Yoshimura! And you're not gonna kill Tim yeah, Stack! Tim St you guys say I saw Tim Stack's name there! Yeah! And everyone's just like running around like, oh, fire! Question mark? Broadway video, NBC Productions. Yeah. So, who did make it out that fire besides John Lovitz? Well, I'll tell you. After that episode, Joan, Robert, Mike, Don, Randy, Terry, and Anitra, and a great deal of the writers, all perished in that fire. Of the cast members who were featured in this season, only Nora Dunn, John Lovitz, Dennis Miller, and A. Whitney Brown would return for the 86-87 season. And the rest is history. But hey, Robert Downey Jr. did apparently make it out of that fire because he would return on November 16, 1996 to host with musical guest Fiona Apple. Remember her? Wasn't she the daughter of that one dude from Brothers? Robert Walden? No, the other dude. Oh, I was just making a comment that she hasn't done much of anything in the last 25 years. But, yeah, basically. You know, basically. So that's the season. And, and again, only a handful of people made it out. And it did go on to, well, 1986 gave us Dana Carvey, Bill Hartman, Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson. Need we say more? Kevin Nealon? Kevin, oh, Kevin Nealon, yeah. He was a featured player. But he still made it to that season. He did. So. He did. And that's when the Golden Age Part 2 began. Or 3, depending on how you feel about the Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo years. Well, I'm not going to begrudge them, the uh, Eddie Murphy-Joe Piscopo years. Now, I am going to find this clip, and we are going to play here, the very opening of the 86-87 season and they brought back Madonna to do the opening segment because she was the host of the 85-86 season the first episode to deliver a statement and here's the statement from Madonna Hi, I'm Madonna 
I said Madonna. Thank you. That's more like it. As you may recall, one year ago tonight, I hosted the premiere episode of Saturday Night Live. Therefore, NBC has asked me to read the following statement concerning last year's entire season. Ready? It was all a dream, a horrible, horrible dream. Now, do you get the joke in that? It was I do. All- it was playing off of Patrick Duffy in Dallas. So, what happened? Well, chalk it up to, and now I'm quoting from Madonna's uh, statement from the transcripts, mediocre writing and bad cast choices. I'm not well, gonna, they're not, not gonna, wrong. They're not going to disagree. They're not wrong. I mean, the writing was mediocre and the casts were even more mediocre. And what can we say except they knew that this was a make-or-break season and they were not pulling their weight. So what did they do? They played up the fact that they were not pulling up their own weight. Gee, where have I seen that before? Oh, yeah. Saturday Night Live Season 6. But ultimately, SNL did get its get right. And they did manage to keep the show rolling along for more than a few years. Until 1994. But that's another episode. That is another episode. But for now, Saturday Night Live Season 11, the 85-86 season. It was just a thing on TV. I mean, nobody's career was killed because of this. We have Joan Cusack, who would go on to star in more romantic comedies than I can care to remember. Anthony Michael Hall, of course, he was in the dead zone. Randy Quaid, uh, let's you know, not discuss what is happening with him now. Yeah, I think we should do our little We Don't Talk About Randy Quaid. Okay. We don't talk about Randy Quaid. No. I just no, well, I just no. did that. He just Why are you did repeating it. what I just said? Okay. Okay, never mind. Continue. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You have nothing to be sorry about. Okay. Terry Sweeney. Fun fact. Terry Sweeney went over to write for Matt TV. Wow, I did not know that. How many people have done both? How many people have done both? Probably just Terry Sweeney. I think just Terry Sweeney, actually. So, good on him. Are you talking about uh, just doing anything with Mad TV and SNL? Yeah. You're not talking about being a cast, well, obviously a cast member. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much it. I'm I'm going through like the Rolodex in my mind and I can't find any commonalities besides Terry Sweeney. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, cast list of Mad TV and... No. Nope, 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 nope. 
Nope, 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 nope. And... Wait, didn't Keegan-Michael Key host an episode of SNL recently? Yes. So I guess that's two, but that's just as far as a host. Yeah, that's a real tenuous connection there. Very tenuous. But a connection nonetheless. Yes. David Wades, of course, would go on to star with his entire family in In Living Color. Al Franken would return to SNL, of course. A. Whitney Brown also would return to SNL. Don Novello, he'd still uh, act out as Father Guido Sarducci now and again. Yeah. And we all love Father Guido. Dan Patel, no idea what he's doing now. No idea. Sadly, Denitra Vance. Yeah, no longer with us. Sadly, yes. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1990. She underwent a single mastectomy and actually worked it into her comedy with The Radical Girl's Guide to Radical Mastectomy. Oh. And three years later, the cancer recurred and she died the following year in Markham, Illinois. She was only 35 years old. Oh my. Well, that sucks. But SNL, it continues on to this very day. And hey, I got to appreciate the fact that it's been like the big anchor of NBC late night for almost 50 years. And you got to appreciate it. And I got to say, right now, I think this is like a one of these great periods of SNL right now. Because if you look at the cast right now they have on SNL, like it is probably like one of the most talented casts, like I think yeah. ever. Because I mean Kate McKinnon, Pete Davidson, uh Mikey Day, Mikey Day, Keenan, obviously, we mentioned. Bone Yang. Bone Yang, Chloe Feynman, Melissa Velson Yor. I mean Cecily Strong. Cicely Strong, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Edie Bryant. Edie yeah. Bryant. Yeah, she's been there a long time now, Edie Bryant. She's been almost yeah. like 10 years, I think, on SNL. But yeah, I mean, SNL continues to be a launchpad for young comedians. And people have been locking to the show to see these young comedians. I mean... Take a look at the featured players. You just may remember those names five years on. So, yeah. Well, in any event, just remember, we have all of our shows on it was a thing on TV.com. Oh, wait, I didn't even say the 85-86 season. Yeah, it was a thing on TV. All right. I didn't even think I said that. But, yeah, it was definitely a thing on TV. It was a weird season of SNL. But it was a thing on TV. Okay, continue. Yes. Anyway, you can listen to all of our Marvel Month shows, as well as all of our other episodes, live shows, and live watches on ItWasAThingOnTV.com. Remember to follow us on all social media at ItWasAThingOnTV, except for Facebook, because uh, Daryl Hammond got the gig announcing for the Facebook, so we had to change it to it was a thing on TV podcast. So, 
That's all there. And by the way, in case we haven't mentioned it, following us on all social media just got a whole lot easier. We are on Linktree now. Yes. Go to linktr.ee slash it was a thing on TV. And you can find all the socials in one place now. It's very easy. So if you are like following us on Facebook or like you're following us on Twitter or you're following us on Instagram, you can like follow all those in one place. Yes. And before we leave, uh, we have to do a very special thank you to Johnny C from Place to Be Nation for all of his incredible voiceover work this past month. We love you. We thank you. Yes. You're awesome. His opens were amazing. And by the way, if you want to listen to me and Johnny talk about a random episode of WCW Thunder from 2000, you can listen to that on the North-South Connection podcast feed where we reviewed the May 8th, 2000 episode of Thunder with an amazing Boinkle You'll Miss It cameo from David Arquette. It really came crashing down on David Arquette. And it hurt inside. And I'm not saying that because that's part of Hulk Hogan's theme, but that's exactly what happened. Oh, yeah. And there's a moment where <laughs> at the beginning of the episode where you can actually sync it to the um, the portals theme from Endgame. <laughs> and it works very well. And also there's a cameo in the limo with <laughs> that Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo are writing that looks like Argyle for some reason me and Johnny agreed on <laughs> from Die Hard. It might as well have been Argyle. I don't know. It might as well have been, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, our next episode, we have a third episode this week. Yes, we do have a third episode this week. If you are a big shot Los Angeles architect and you have a housekeeper who is in the country less than legally, but you don't want to give her up, what would you do? Find the answer to that next time on It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Row! The streets of L.A. Tonight's episode, T for the Tiller Man. Hey! Put your hands up! Somebody's gonna get booked. It's bucket of my butt time. What? Damn. He got away. Well, I think he'll be back. And why is that? He forgot something. Oh, yeah? What is it? Smack. Can you imagine someone so messed up they need this crap to get through the day? (laughs) No, I can't. Yeah, well, let's call the captain. You know, people who play with this junk make me sick. They're the scum of the earth. Yeah, they sure are. Anyone who would use this drug should be rounded up and caged like an animal. It's trash like this that's ruining this country. Yep, well, let's get back to the station. I'm not done yet. 
If I could lock up every junkie in this great country of ours, I'd be the happiest man on earth. Drug users are bad, period. Don't ever be sympathetic to them. Okay, well, I won't be. And even if they do put themselves in a rehab clinic and are honestly committed to quitting, <laughs> you still shouldn't forgive them. And don't buy into that. I can't help it. It's a sickness crap. Drugs are always wrong. They are the worst thing on the face of the earth. Uh, go easy, way. This kid probably had a rough break in life. You know, he comes from a poor neighborhood. No, I bet you he's a rich kid. Had everything handed to him. But you know what? It doesn't matter if the user is a plumber, a lawyer, or a big shot actor who's been nominated for an Academy Award for playing Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> What the hell are you talking about, Wade? We never busted nobody like that. Well, we should have. Because my book, if you do drugs, you go to jail and you stay there. You don't go to some cushy rehab center and take a week off so you can fly to New York and do a comedy show. Hey, look, uh, Wade, maybe you should uh, lay down in the squad car for a while. God, man, it really burns me. Just because some... Punk gets a few good reviews for the movie Less Than Zero. Doesn't mean he gets a free pass, not on my beat. Although, I must say, it's a damn good film. Also, the films Only You and Air America were extremely underrated. Well, I'll just see you back in the station. So when it comes to drink, uh, so when it comes to drug dealers, I give no quarter. I don't care if your name's Dick or Joe or Robert Grownie Jr. You just don't do drugs. No excuses. Even if, from what I hear, heroin makes the user feel like he's lying on a marshmallow made of silk, <coughs> while God gently massages your temples, and suddenly everything feels all right and makes sense, and the ugliness fades away. Hmm. Wow, that's pretty good. Hey, we should really get going there, Wade. Yeah, uh, sure, I'll be right there. I'm just gonna take this horribly addictive drug in the bathroom and flush it down the toilet. No, no, wait, we have to take that to the lab and analyze it. No, no, you go to the squad car. I'll be down in about an hour. No, 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 wait. What? Here, no, here, give me that. Oh, God. Come on, now, let's roll, away. Yeah, let's go clean up the streets of L.A. Greg, Mike, Chico, and the Whammy will return. <laughs>